Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And Stephen's going to come and preach to us. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dennis. Thank you. It's so great to be here. I'm going to sort of pray once more um, as we start, because I need Jesus. <laughs> Father God, we thank you that your presence is here with us now. That your spirit is here. That you're alive and here with us. And Lord, I just pray right now that it would not be me speaking, but actually it would just be your spirit and your word and the message that you have for each individual one of us here today would be the message that we take away in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I want to start by just saying that um, it's, it's an amazing thing that this, uh, that this is what I'm preaching on today because this was really for me when I was preparing this sermon. I just absolutely found that, uh, that, if, that this, was, this was the crucial and serious message that God wanted to give to me. So I'm very much preaching to myself as well as uh, anyone, anyone else here. Um, I'm probably the, the most grateful recipient of, uh, of it. But um, the command we have in the passage is to run like you will be the one to get the prize. And uh, the one who gets the prize, the winner, there is only one. There is only one winner. Run like you will win. Run like you are the best in the world. Uh, I'm not sure how many people are into sport (laughs) particularly here, but... um, if you look at those Olympians, some of them, we just had the Winter Olympics, or I was watching the, you know, the Cambridge-Oxford boat race recently as well. The winner is the person who trained the hardest and it is therefore the best. How do we become the best? Paul tells us right, right there, straight in the next sentence, they go into strict training. Strict training is the way that we become the best the way that we run, like we're going to win the prize, like we're going to win. I was a huge fan of rugby. I haven't kept up with it so well, but uh, back (laughs) when I was smaller, um, I used to love rugby, and there was this amazing year, 2003. I'm not sure if anyone knows what I'm talking about here, but 2003 was an amazing year for English rugby because we won the World Cup, and it was just the most phenomenal team, and everything was amazing, and there was one guy on the team called Johnny Wilkinson, and uh, Johnny Wilkinson was the boss. Um, he was an absolute legend. He was one of the best players in the world. Uh, we've never had a fly half like him since. And, um, and uh, <laughs> amen. And um, 
And there was this amazing moment. So the 2003 Rugby World Cup final, I'll tell you really quickly because I love it. We were against Australia and um, we got to half time and um, we were winning at half time. Then they caught back up in the second half and it finished full time with an even score of 14-14. Went into extra time and, um, and uh, we, they both got penalties. So it went to 17-17 right in the last minute of the game. They just made a little space, a little space. They opened it up. They said, Johnny Wilkinson, you get into the middle of that pitch. We're going to put you in a space. We'll get you the ball, and you just do your thing, and this will get us the match. And there was literally about 45 seconds to go. Out of the ruck, ball comes out straight to Johnny Wilkinson. I can remember the commentator. He strikes for World Cup glory. And uh, we just saw this ball kind of totter through the posts, and the entire nation just completely erupted, and Johnny Wilkinson was inducted into the Rugby Hall of Fame. Um, but how did he do it? How did he do it? Why was it that Johnny Wilkinson was able to do this in the last 30 seconds of the highest pressure game of his career? Uh, simply because he trained the best and he trained the hardest. Uh, there's documentaries now about Johnny Wilkinson and just his training regime. Why is he the best in the world? Because he trained harder than anybody. His dedication was beyond anybody's they would all finish their training session at six o'clock in the evening and they'd head off to the pub and he would stay until eight until nine until ten until he was happy until he was finished till he'd hit the ball well enough every single time again and again and again and he was the best in the world just because of that there's a famous thing of this the christmas before that world cup uh, on christmas day they had a day off a team day off everyone went home and johnny wilkinson went out to the rugby pitch and kicked the whole day, Christmas Day, kicked the ball again and again and again. No one was there to watch. No one was there to see his efforts. But again and again and again, he knew he was training for something that was going to count when it mattered. Johnny Wilkinson's one of my heroes. I want to be like him. And another one that comes to mind from the Bible is David. I found this quote. David killed the lion and the bear in private. He killed the giant in public. What you do in private determines what you do in public. Train hard, train hard. What is the medal we run for? Um, keeping what we're training for in mind is so key. Paul says this. It's the next verse after that one. Um, you'll see. Others train for metal, medals that fade and fall. Johnny Wilkinson will only be the best rugby player in the world, in my head, as long as he's alive. But then there'll be someone else. Um, but we are training. We are running towards medals that don't fade. We're warned against training and working towards medals that do. There's the parable of the building bigger barns. Uh, in Luke 12, the man, do you remember that parable? And he, and, he, and he stores up grain and things for himself. And then he, he finally finds he's filled his barn and he can't fit any more in. So he builds a bigger barn and he fills that one up. And he says, oh, well, I'll just build one more. And he builds one more, even larger, huge mammoth barn. And he fills that one up and then finally sits back and he goes, oh, well, now I can rest. Now I'm done. Now I've got it. I'm there. And, um, and what happens at the end of that parable? Straight away, the day after, he's, uh, he's built this, finally reached his goal of this huge barn, and he can sit back and he dies. Straight away. We're not here on this earth to build up treasures here for ourselves. Matthew 6 is very clear as well. Don't store up treasures for yourselves on earth where thieves can break in, moths can destroy. Instead, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Treasures in heaven that will last forever. That's an amazing passage, chapter 6, Matthew 6 as well. God's attitude towards stuff is a very interesting one. 
to things. Don't worry, he says. Don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat or drink. I will take care of it. Instead, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. We don't need to seek after things and stuff as our goal. Instead, seek after God's kingdom and he knows what we need. So what is the thing that we gain instead of all this stuff that the world offers? And the answer really simply is Jesus. And I think the Bible is really clear on this. Jesus is the thing that we gain. And we see that throughout scripture, but particularly in John 12, um, when Mary anoints Jesus' feet in Bethany. And, um, and what does she do? She pours out this oil, this expensive perfume that was worth a year's wages for no reason other than to say, I love you to the Lord, other than to show her commitments and her love to the Lord. And she understood this. She understood that actually the world does not offer the same things that God offers. Jesus is the thing that we long for, the long thing we long to have, the person we long to have. I was having a conversation with someone um, about uh, work uh, as a Christian, and um, oh, this was a while ago, and, um, and I mentioned I was really looking forward to what work I'd be doing in heaven. I was like, oh, I can't wait to get to heaven. I'll do some amazing work there because, you know, there won't be any of this temptation to be lazy or, <laughs> or stress. Um, it'll just be fantastic, pure work. And she looked at me really confused and said, well, why are you working in heaven? There'll be, there'll be nothing left to do in heaven. What would be the motivation to work in heaven? Now, we know we're called to work in heaven. God made us to work. Um, but I, I thought about it, and I, I told her, I said, if you were a, a mom or a dad, and you had a little son or a little daughter, and they worked hard at making a picture for you, or a card for Christmas or Valentine's, birthday or something and said I love you so much mom I love you so much dad and then they came to you and they gave you this card that they'd worked hard to to create how does that make you as a parent feel wonderfully loved is the answer it fills you with everything you need in that relationship that's what work in heaven will be like I think Lord, look, I've made this thing. I've written this thing. I've made this song. I've worked this, whatever it is. I've created this thing. I love you. I love you so much. Work makes sense in the context of relationship. And in heaven will be perfect relationship. That's the intellectual reason to understand what we work towards, what we run towards, what we fight for. But I think that the true way to know what the treasure of life is to look, is to look at Jesus on the cross. And um, we talk about Jesus on the cross in terms of what he took up very often, which is fine, it's great. Because we know that when Jesus was on the cross, he took on the sin of the world. We know that when Jesus was on the cross, he took on the evil one and the darkness. He took on death, and he defeated it, and he overcame all of these things. But what I think is almost more important that even than that is, what did Jesus lose when he was on the cross? 
And the truth is he lost a lot of things. He lost his comfort, certainly. <laughs> he lost his human dignity, his physical health and safety. But above all of the, these things, I think that he lost one thing that caused his, his true suffering. For all eternity, the Father and the Son were one. Were in one loving relationship, not a static or still relationship, but one that was just in love with one another, constantly surrendering, constantly preferring one another in every decision, showing each other again and again how much I love you with all that I am. There was no secret in that relationship, an entirely perfect relationship that had existed from eternity for eternity, forever. Nothing had broken it until on the cross for us, Jesus shouted out and cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? And suddenly for a moment in eternity, a relationship that had existed for, for millennia, for always, was broken and undone. Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that we can now say in wonder, my God, my God, how is it that you have come to find me? Because what Jesus lost on the cross, he offers to us to gain. He lost his comfort. We can be comforted. His human dignity. We're protected as humans. His physical health and safety. We are healed and protected. But when he lost his relationship with his father God, he opened up a way for us to enter into that. And we can enter the eternal relationship with father God. That is why God is the one thing, our treasure and our goal, the reason we run the race and train hard. And I was just thinking, coming to an end, what are the reasons that I don't, I don't run the race? What are the reasons I, I walk for much of my life? What are the reasons that I stumble sometimes and don't try my hardest, don't do my best? And um, for me, and this may be different for you, but I, I think there are two main excuses that I give to myself and to God. And the first is I'm tired, uh, which is really embarrassing because I'm 22. <laughs> but I'm tired. I often say that to God. It's one of the big reasons I don't run like I should. And um, the second one is someone else can do it. Surely someone else can just, someone else will do it. You're God. You can do anything. <laughs> someone else can do it. And um, I just want to read this passage, which helped me to answer this question. The question of tiredness. Isaiah Chapter 40, I'm sure you'll recognize it. It's very, very popular, but very well known. But it, it just hit me again. This is one of my favorite passages of scripture. Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard that the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? 
and he will not grow tired or weary. His understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. And even youths grow tired and weary. Young men, they stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. And they will walk and not faint. Lord, if I could understand that verse, my life would change. For those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Will you hope in the Lord? Will you hope in the Lord that he will renew your strength when you're tired, when you are weary, when you stumble and when you fall? Hope in the Lord. In the seconds, someone else can do it. Someone else can do it. Come back to the cross, I think, for this. Lord, help me come back to the cross. Because no one else can have the relationship that you will have with God, that you do have with God. No one else can live that relationship. No one else can please him in the same way that you please the Lord. Someone else can do it, but no one else, no one else can seek after the Lord in the way that you seek after the Lord. That is one relationship, unique and perfect. And Jesus has offered it to us freely, by grace. So, train, train hard. Run the race. Do it for the reason alone that we will have Jesus and we will have more of him. Don't store up for yourselves treasures here on earth. Instead, seek after the true treasure that's not going to fade. Our Lord and our God, our Savior, the one who loves us, who calls us and made us to be in relationship with him. When you're tired, I say hope in the Lord. Hope in the Lord and he will renew your strength. And no one else can do what you can do. No one else can have the relationship that you have with God. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray for the ambulance. (laughs) Father, Lord, just come and tell us. Come and tell us how much you're worth. Show us again. Why are you the one thing that I need to seek? Why are you worth it? Why is it that I don't need anything else? Come and show us, Lord. Lord, all all that I am and all that I have is is yours. All that I am, all that I have is yours. And I'm sorry for not giving it all to you, Lord. You can have my work. You can have my energy, my time, my money. 
but Lord, give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. And I need you, Father, to help me.